God, we want to thank You that You're a God who loves us so deeply. Just the simplicity of that fact that everyone that can hear me now, here in this auditorium, online, is deeply loved by a Father, by their God. And Lord, You call us simply to trust You. And Lord, we want to do that. We want to give all that we are to You. We can trust You into Your hands. And now, Lord, as we hear from Your Word, Lord, we bring our hearts, we bring our lives before You, knowing that we bring it before a God who not only loves us, a God who is in control, but a God who has great plans and purposes for our lives. We love You, God. We're so thankful to be here, so thankful to know You. And Lord, we open our hearts to You now in Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. As Nathan said, it's been an awesome week this week. There's something special when we look up to God and out to the world and we see how big God is and His plans that are working out all across the globe. Don't you love it that you worship a God who loves all people? There's no segregation. There's no one more important than any other. No culture, no place in this world. He is a God with a big heart for all people. And He's at work. And we've heard this week amazing stories of what God's doing around the world. And the better thing is, or one of the great things, He involves us. God loves to involve us. God loves to work in and through our lives. And we've heard that throughout this weekend as well. And we've been really blessed this year, as Nathan said, to hear from many of our missionaries that are usually overseas, but are back here in Australia. Uh, the Redmonds have shared and Paul and Ali and their boys will be sharing tonight. So come, come out at 4 and 6 p.m. and hear there. Uh, them there. Um, And Tim and Mel Downs are here with us. Now, Tim and Mel um, have worked in Malawi for over 12 years now with a specific people group called the Yao People Group, where there's very limited Christian witness, predominantly Muslim. And they have done, it's been incredible just to hear the, the work that God has done in and through them to not only bring people to come to know Jesus, and you'll hear some of those stories now, but begin to raise up a local leadership in that church. And so we're really excited to partner with them, but we're much more than partnering with them in that we really feel these guys are part of our family. They come back here, they serve us and bless us in such a humble way, such a helpful way, servant. We see God's character in them. So we're really blessed. And I'd love it if you could just welcome them to the stage here this morning. In a moment, Tim will share God's Word uh, with us, but Mel actually shared last night. Now, that'll be made available on our website and on the YouTube channel there. Um, but Mel, you've also got the book that God has led you to, sh- to, to write um, during that COVID um, period. And um, why would we read that book or what's um, the heart behind that book, um, your heart behind that book? Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having us here this morning. Look, my heart is really... if. if you're ever asking yourself the question, Lord, what am I doing? What should I do? If you're standing on the edge of the cliff and you're kind of looking out going, what do I do? Well, my job is to get behind you and give you a little push. (laughs) So jump is all about that. You know what? Go for it. God has got so much for you. Don't live with regret. Don't live with the what ifs. Just go for it because God is amazing. And the journey that He's taken me on will hopefully encourage you in your journey. That's what it's about. It's a great book, very, very encouraging. And we would love to all visit Malawi and see what God's doing there. Um, But what we're going to do now is just to give you a little bit of taste of where Tim and Mel live, the people, the country. We've got a two-minute video just to take us there through that video. So let's watch that before Tim speaks. Almighty Father in heaven, we humbly bow as a nation of Malawi to honor you. We acknowledge that you, O Father, are the only one who can lead and guide this humble nation. So Father, we lift Malawi up unto you. We ask that you bless Malawi with your wisdom, love, and compassion. May we be a nation that is pursuing you and your plans for us. Father, We lift up prayers for our leaders. We ask for blessings on our leaders. May they that are in position of authority take that responsibility seriously and do their best for the good of the nation. May they accept and realize they need you and your direction. 
May you whisper to them as they make their decisions and give them the heart to follow your guidance. Inspire them to have a passion to help their nation. Father, we lift up unto you the challenges that Malawi is facing. They are many and cause the country to fall astray. May it be, Father, that you give us the strength to look past these problems and focus solely on you. We thank you for the blessings of life and liberty in Malawi. May Malawi continually show love and honor to you. May we be dedicated, steadfast, and remain focused on you, Lord. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. What a beautiful country, beautiful people God's created in his image. And uh, I'd like it if we just welcome Tim as he comes and shares God's word with us. Andrew, thank you. It's a beautiful country, hey? Malawi's known as the warm heart of Africa and um, possibly the friendliest people in the whole continent. Yeah, as it was shared, we've been there for 12 years, um, together with our two boys, Jared and Clayton, one's 15 and 17. The little bloke, he was two when we first got there. And um, every, about every two or three weeks, he'll say to me, Dad, we're still going home, aren't we? We're still going back to Malawi. I said, yes, yeah, all right, man, we'll go home. It's been encouraging to be part of the mission weekend and just to hear different stories from people across the globe. Isn't it fantastic how God's got this design to include us in his mission of world dominance, isn't it? Like you can hear a story from all different pockets. One might be just down at the university here in Australia. Another one might be from Sri Lanka. And somehow we get to play a part in that story. How honoured are we? How honoured? One of the leaders from a faith community in Malawi, a good mate of mine, Wine, rang me about a month ago and said, Bubba, there's a number of baptisms. Now, this is really encouraging for a missionary who's back off the field. Because the story is in that particular village, I remember when we first started going there about maybe six years ago, Wine and I would go and sit under a big mango tree on a grass mat and the invitation had gone out through the chief that if you want to hear stories about God, you can go and meet. And no one would come. I reckon for about three months straight, you'd see the little mud huts with the grass roofs and people out farming and they'd be walking around, but no one came to actually sit with us. But eventually someone had a sick child and they thought, let's give these people a crack. And they asked us to come and pray. So then there'd be one or two who would meet. And over a time, a group of 20, 30, 40, even 50 now continually gather. I remember one of the catalysts, I guess what changed in this village, was one of, the, one of the old matriarchs of the village. I was sharing a simple message and she just said, Bubba, stop. If I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is that, you know, I always feel I'm not good enough for God. If I'm honest, I... I don't do the five prayers a day. And the fast, I really struggle with the fast at Ramadan every year. The whole giving to the poor, well, I am the poor. I don't have much to give. I'll never get to Mecca. You know what? I'm never good enough for God. And it seems you're telling me a story that because of Jesus and my faith in him, I can be seen as acceptable. I said, Mama, that's right. And she put her head down and she looked up and she says, Baba, you know, this is good news. And I said, that's what people have started calling it. It's kind of taken off. <laughs> Sometimes we can lose sight of the simplicity of this good news. Because of Jesus, we can be seen as right and acceptable to the Father. Doesn't it position us well? Well, it's in that village only about a month ago, my mate Wine rings me. He rings me at 3 a.m. because he doesn't get the whole story of the time difference, right? And he's actually a bit apologetic because he goes, Bubba, I hope I didn't step over the line, but there's seven people in this village who want to get baptised and they're saying we need to wait for Bubba Tim to get back. But I kind of said to them, you know, if you're getting baptised because you want to do the right thing before God, then this is an obedience issue. 
And then he said something beautiful. He goes, I told them, Bubba, obedience is always better done quickly. Isn't that a beautiful, profound truth, right? So he goes, I hope you're not upset, but we're going to go ahead and do this without you. I wasn't upset. It's a good story, hey? Isn't it be good to be part of what God is doing? We've heard a lot of good stories over this weekend. One of my favourites is the girl who got led to Jesus through someone having a crack at karaoke. <laughs> Looking silly for the gospel, it's worth it. I want to share another story that's maybe not such a good story, but there's a good message in it. Mel wrote a book, it's full of them. I reckon if I ever wrote a book, it might be called When Missionaries Get It A Bit Wrong. Um, it'll be a bestseller, I'm telling you. Um, I'm a part of Global Interaction. <laughs> it's the Australian Baptist Missionary Society. Um, and anyway, because I'm associated with them, maybe I won't write it yet. But the story goes, right? We go out to a little village. It's called Yembe Village. As I drive down into the village, you saw some of the images on the, on the film clip, right? It's, it's, classic, it's classic African rural um, there's big mango trees, there's all mud brick huts, there's the grass roofs, there's always kids and goats. You'll always see a couple of ladies with those big petzels that they're just pounding the maize. It's, it's quite beautiful. There's always a well where someone's drawing water. And we sit with a group under this big tree. There's about 30 of us. We open portions of the scripture and we, 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 we learn about Jesus. So there's this guy, Adam, Right? I don't know what his story is with God. He, he will come really consistently for a couple of months and then you won't see him for a couple of months. So this one time he comes, he goes, Bubba, can you come to my village? I know where he lives, right? Because you know, you know those rosellas? They're like a, a old school. They used to make rosella jam. Rosellas grow in his village and I always get buckets of them. That's how I know where he lives. Um, he said, can you come to my village after you've finished sharing? Because I need you to pray for my wife's sister. She's unwell. I said, Adam, no worries. I'm good for it. So at the end of the meeting, the chief called me aside and says, Bubba, we need to talk about some issues. And I remember talking to him for a good couple of hours. And it was dark. And I, I just drove home. I drove straight past his village. And it's about 40 minutes away. And when I got home, I realized, ah, I didn't get to see Adam. That's all right. I'll catch up with him next week. So seven days go by and I get to this village and Adam's there waiting for me. And he goes, Bubba, what happened, man? Actually, he didn't say that. He says, Bubba, Uli, Ligongo Chich, because why? I said, I'm sorry, mate, I forgot. And he goes, well, well, can you make sure you come today? I said, yeah, Bubba, I will. Now, he didn't stay with me because it was that time of the year where he needs to stay out in his fields because someone will come and steal his crops, mostly the baboons, right? He has to sit there with rocks and a stick to, to guard his field. So I said, Bubba, I'll, I will make sure I come. You know, I'm sitting under the tree doing the Jesus thing, sharing. I was just about to wrap up and go and pray for Adam's wife's sister. But they brought a lady in who was clearly in labor. And they said, Bubba, when you drive home, it's not far to the local clinic. Can you quickly drop her off? And I'm like, oh, yeah, man. Like I, I did the missionary school, right? They teach you how to kill a chicken and to do these different things. Childbirth is the next step up, right? I'm not good for that. So I took her quickly to the hospital at the expense of not visiting my mate Adam. That I'll get there next week. This is starting to get a bit embarrassing, right? Because the third week Adam was there. And he says, Bubba, can you come this week? And I said, Adam, I will come. I wish I had a better excuse, Yeah. I wish there was some catastrophe that could justify why I didn't get there for the third week. But really, I was just tired. Every Tuesday I get up at seven and I go out with some mates and we visit three villages. Each village is a three or four hour run. You don't eat, you just, you go there, you meet with people, we sit around, we share, we pray, we discuss issues. We go to the next village and, and I mean it's empowering, it's, it's life giving, I love it. But it was about nine o'clock and I was driving home and I didn't get to Adam's house again. This is the fourth week and Adam's waiting there. Now he's not angry with me, but I can see he's clearly disappointed, which is probably worse. 
And he goes, Baba. And he takes me by the hand. And he sat with me for about two hours as I was sharing. The whole time he held my hand. And as I was talking to people, I was talking to Chief and I was talking to all these different issues, Adam was always holding my hand. And he walked with me to my car and he sat in the front of the car. There was no way we were going to miss out on going to his village this week. This is a month, right? I got to Adam's wife's sister's village and there was a small mud hut. Classic scene. A few people out the front. There's a grass roof. There's a big mango tree. There's a field. There's a well. There's some goats. There's some chickens. And they ushered me into this hut. It was about seven o'clock. I sit down and as my eyes adjusted in the light, it became very apparent that there was a young girl sitting. Like these huts are about a little bit bigger than that enclosure. There was a young girl sitting there, about 20. She was completely naked. And she was just sitting on the ground. There's two or three people with her who were helping. And it started to become apparent as they shared what her story was. They said, Bubba, about three months ago, something happened. Since then, she hasn't been able to move her legs. And she can't wear clothes. It was obvious that there was some spiritual issue going on here because their first port of call is not not Google. It's not the hospital, but it's always the witch doctor down the road. And you could see there were a number of little amulets in the corner of the room. You could see that she'd had all these cuts where they'd do some different type of bloodletting. You could see that there were some things around her neck, but obviously she was still quite oppressed. So I said, why have you called me here? And they said, Baba, we know. We've heard stories that sometimes you guys pray in the name of Jesus, Isa Messiah, and we know he can set people free. And they said, that's what we want you to do today. So, so I wanted to work within the cultural norms and the chains of authority. Sometimes miracles, you know, they don't always cause, produce faith. Sometimes they produce suspicion and anger and jealousy. So I asked them to go and get the relevant people of authority in that village, her uncle, the chief to come and and to actually give me permission to pray into this situation. After about 15 minutes, I reckon there's about 20 of us jammed into this little hut. Yeah, I wasn't worried about COVID because I tell you one thing, Mr. COVID was not the most dangerous player in that room that day. They said, we would love for you to pray for her. The guy I was with just then said, Chimwali's sister, do you know what's going on? And, and, and she said, yes, I do. At that, everybody sort of stepped back because they thought, we don't really know this story. And she went on to share that she said three months ago, she did go to the witch doctor down the road. She gave him one of her chickens as payment. And she explained that her husband was just about to get a second younger wife. And she didn't want to be the second wife or the older wife. So what can she do, right? There's nothing against the law. No one thinks this is the wrong thing, but in her heart, she didn't want that. So she used the only resource she had, and she went to the witch doctor, and she put a curse to not allow her husband to do this. She then said that night when she went home, she had terrible nightmares. When she woke up, she wasn't wearing any clothes, and her legs didn't work. Everyone was a bit amazed because they'd never heard the story. But then she went on and she says, I know I did the wrong thing. I did the wrong thing before God. I did the wrong thing before my family. And I even did the wrong thing before my husband. Wasn't her repentance beautiful? Her confession was sweet. So we prayed for her, right? And you know what? She was shaken around and there was obviously a battle going on in the spiritual realm when we played but if there's a battle in the spiritual realm I can tell you who always wins that it's Jesus there's like these things in place like paper scissor rock you know Jesus always wins he always wins all of a sudden her demeanor changed she opened her eyes and realized that she was not clothed and she grabbed a sheet and pulled it over herself and why why am I naked Something had changed very quickly. And she says, I'm really tired and I'm hungry. So we decided, look, let's, let's, let's not keep pursuing this. Let's give this girl a feed and a sleep. I'll come back tomorrow. You know, every day, 
most days when I come home after being out in the village, we have a bit of a competition in our family. Who has the best story of the day, right? I'm sitting there all proud, like, give it your best shot, kids. Just stop it, I want to go. And I told them that Jesus had set someone free. I went back to the village the next day as I had promised. And as I walked in, there was about 20 or so people out the side of the hut, yeah? And I'm greeting everybody as I walk in. And then all of a sudden, people start laughing behind me and I turn around and I realise there's this young girl, right? She's beautiful. She's wearing a full hijab. You can only see her face, a beautiful dress. And she's laughing and smiling. She goes, Bubba, don't you recognise me? It's me. It's me. And she goes, I'm different. She says, I'm free. And then she started laughing, right? And she goes like this, but my legs don't work properly yet. And I guess it's just the atrophy. And anyway, her story is now, her, she is fine. She's a beautiful young woman involved in the village and she's a powerful testimony of what God can do. She says, Baba, I'm free. You know, this story is very similar to one that Jesus tells. It comes from Luke chapter 6. Let me read it. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village in Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralysed man on a mat who tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. So we have this guy who's a cripple. Some of his mates seem to know that Jesus is going to be the answer for him. So they go to extreme measures to make sure this interaction happens. The interaction is their crippled friend meets with Jesus. But somehow they had to make that happen. They had to get their crippled friend to Jesus. They couldn't come through the door, too many people, but they made a plan and they came through the roof. And as a result, they got their crippled friend to Jesus. We, we, we probably heard this story. There's every chance that there's kids out in the buzz, or what you buzz kids, they're probably doing their little colouring-ins now, bringing it home to mum of that guy who's coming through the roof. Does anyone remember the old flannel graphs? It's like old school technology, right? I remember my mum having this cloth material and there's this little roof where you would lift up the flap and you would lower the crippled guy through. It was so cool. My friends have seen that, my, my friends, my sons see that now and they're like, Dad, you're killing me. How did that kind of stuff ever bring anyone into the kingdom? It's really old school, right? But I reckon even in that culture, you're still crossing boundaries by pulling someone's roof apart. I don't know where that's okay. I wonder how long in this story the man had been crippled. So as I said, I've come up through the whole Sunday school. I just assumed he was probably born crippled. But I wonder if he'd only been crippled, say, three months. How do you know? I wonder if he was crippled because of some sin in his life or like a curse. I wonder. I'm only speculating, right? I have no idea, but something did stand out to me as I went back and revisited that verse. When Jesus saw the crippled guy lowered through the roof, guess what Jesus' first words were? Friend, your sins are forgiven. Isn't it interesting that his immediate need is crippled, right? It's obvious. Yet Jesus seemed to go, no, no, the big issue here, the underlying current is that there's a sin problem. When my friends in Malawi hear that story, they see it through their worldview and their lens and they just assume there's every chance this guy's got some sin in his life that needs to be dealt with and that's why he's paralysed. 
And when Jesus answered your sins are forgiven, it just reaffirms where they're at. Isn't it cool to get a glimpse of the same scripture that we read through another lens? Now I'm speculating a bit, I don't know. The story doesn't say whether he was crippled from birth or not. Maybe it does in one of the other accounts. But I do know Jesus addressed his greatest need and sometimes it's assumed that physical ailments are often linked with one's spiritual condition. That's certainly the story in Malawi. That's why the people came and got the white missionary guy to pray because they knew this is a spiritual issue. Okay, back to Yembe village with the girl, right? There's a couple of heroes in this story. There's a few. We've got the main characters, right? We've got this girl who can't walk. We've got a white missionary sponsored by Bridgman Downs. Mr. doesn't show up four times. We've got Jesus and we've got Adam. So who would you rank out of the heroes in this story? Well, you know, if we're pulling out Sunday school stories, Jesus has to always be the main hero. Jesus did the heavy lifting, right? Jesus is the one who healed her and set her free. And then you've got the white missionary. He's probably the lowest in the rank of players in that story because, you know, pretty casual about actually getting on site. You've got the girl. Well, actually, she's quite admirable because what about her braveness in her confession? Before her family and before the elders in the village, she openly said, I did the wrong thing here before you, before my wife, before my husband and before my family. But what about that guy, Adam? Remember Adam? Adam came to me and said, Baba Tim, can you come and pray for my sister? Now let me give you a bit of culture here. Whether we like it or not, in Malawi, because of the history of, of slavery, because of the history of colonialism, you're a white guy, so you're, you're seen as a buana. And it's really hard for us, because often you're put in a position where they ask you to make a decision, because you're the buana, the boss, you're probably the least equipped person in the room to make a good decision because you just you don't know the language you don't know the culture you don't know the history and they're like Bubba what should we do ladies always laugh at me when I greet them not always but they feel how soft my hands are <laughs> and they think that you don't know the language so they go hey, he's got hands like a child they're so soft <laughs> he's never done a day's work in his life and you hear them say that to their friends and then they put you in front of a group and say, can you share something of value? And you're like, well, you all just think I'm a joke. <laughs> if you go into the bank in our local community and there's a row of 20 people, when they see you walk in as a white guy, they all just step aside because they assume that you will want to walk straight to the front because you're the boss and get served first. It's really awkward. You know what's even more awkward? is when you go, no, 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 I'm going to actually sit down the back and wait in line. I'll wait the two hours till it's my turn. So the guy in front of you is like, oh, is he still there? This is terrible. Oh, he's still there. What do I do? They've got no model to know how to deal with that. So you're kind of awkward trying to show them humility and love. They're awkward. They're like, just go to the front of the line, bro. <laughs> it's really awkward. So my mate Adam, who said, Bubba Tim, can you come and pray... He was taking a punt because I could have easily said to him, mate, I don't know your wife or your wife's sister and I'm busy. And what he would have done is, okay, I'm sorry. But the fact that he came back the second week, everybody, the cultural norm then should have been, just let it go, bro. The white guy's busy. But he wouldn't, would he? He asked me, can you come again? So what about the third time? If he didn't cross the cultural boundary the first time, the second time he did, the third time, he, the fourth time? His tenacity is incredible. He wanted to make sure the interaction happened. Something in Adam knew. A bit like that story where the, there were the, the guys who carried their cripple mate through the roof. He knew that, they knew 
we had to get this guy to Jesus. And he knew, I've got to somehow get my wife's sister to Jesus. He knew he had to do whatever it took to make that interaction happen. So Bridget, I suspect there's no one in this room who's got a sister-in-law down the road who's sitting there naked and can't walk because of a curse. You might not even have a sister-in-law at all. It's a bit far-fetched, right? But I bet, I bet you have a friend who you know needs to have an interaction with Jesus. They might be crippled with the sin that's just tying them down. They might be crippled with, with, with an addictive behaviour that you know is, is the train's coming, doo, doo, like they're on the track, this is going to go, this is going to end bad for them. But they just can't, they just can't stop it. They might be crippled with, with what's a bitterness and unforgiveness that it's something that happened in their life 10, 15, 20 years ago but it's just still defining them and they're never going to let go of that hurt because what happened was not fair and you're damn right I'm angry. It's killing them. It's crippling them. Or they might just have a burden of, of this work that's just crippling them. The load that they're carrying is too heavy. And you know, you know they need that interaction with Jesus, but how how do you make it happen? It seems to be, we've got this privilege of missionaries because we live overseas for three years and then every six months you come back and you do Australia for a bit. And it gives you a unique perspective on Australia because you notice things change. So what we notice is things that were, were unusual become common. And then those things that are common now actually get termed as normal. So, so we throw the words around as, as, is it synonymous? Like the same word means the same thing? Like it's either common or normal, it's the same? Well, let me tell you from a biblical worldview, if something's common, it doesn't mean that it's normal. God is the one who established normal. Here's an example. My dad comes to visit me in my house, right? I'm one of three brothers and dad's always hammering us boys about we've got to look after our girls. So dad comes to my house and he opens the toilet door. Now, now the toilet door, the lock's a bit dodgy. You've got to kind of pull the lock back to twist it. And he goes to it and he's like, hey Bill, he calls me Bill, he knows my name's Tim. Have a look at this. Mate, how long's this been like this? I don't know, it's always been like that. And he goes, yeah. Mel doesn't have to put up with that kind of thing. <laughs> That's all he says. He's, he's, his approach is perfect. I guess what he's doing is saying, this lock might be common because it's, you're used to it, but you don't have to live with it. It's a funny little example, but it brings out a profound truth, doesn't it? What he's saying is that something that you've put up with for so long, you shouldn't need to. And he's saying, what he's saying without saying is he's going, you're a carpenter, you know how to fix this stuff, there's no way that your wife needs to put up with this. And I guess that's what the Bible's saying, it's, it's saying, Jesus is saying there's no way that there's certain things that you were putting up with that you need to. What was that song that we sung? Oh, what joy we often forfeit. Oh, what needless, needless pain we bear. Because we're not giving it to God. I think there's a potential that things become so common in our lives, we accept them as normal and we think this is just how it is. We just accept that I'm always going to struggle with this area of sin in my life. It's just who I am. It's not what the Bible says and it's not why Jesus got up out of that grave. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, we read in 2 Corinthians. In Galatians 5 it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. That's the normal God wants you to experience. Bitterness, unforgiveness, hanging on to it for years. 
In Ephesians 4, we read, get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all bitterness and rage, anger, brawling and slander. It says, be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's normal. There's the standard that we forgive as Christ forgave us. Isn't it a slap? But on the other side of that, there's, there's freedom. We, we, we look into God's word for five minutes and all of a sudden the bar just starts to raise and say, no, these things are not acceptable. But it's not a condemnation, it's an encouragement to say, hey, you don't need to put up with this. This does not need to be your experience. Not as my child. Fear, anxiety. Man. If there's something that we've noticed in coming back to Australia... It seems, and I want to be very careful how I speak into this space, but it seems so many of us struggle with anxiety that we just now accept it as a normal experience. That's just how it is. In Psalm 55 we read, Give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. John 14 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. That's the normal experience God wants for you. What about burdened? Maybe our workload is too heavy. Maybe, maybe, what did Jesus say? He said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Learn from me. Take my yoke, because my burden is light. And my yoke is easy. Who can put their hand up and say, yeah, that's my experience? Yeah, true that. My like, like most of us go, actually, I don't find the yoke easy. I find it very difficult. And the burden isn't light. Actually, it's heavy. Like crippling heavy. If that's our experience, let me suggest... Jesus was not out of line when he said this. Let me suggest that if that's our experience, the problem is probably at our end. You know, Jesus gives us enough hours in every day to get done what he wants us to get done. And I think there's the secret in that, what he wants us to get done. I reckon if we're, we're feeling overburdened, then possibly we find ourselves doing things that Jesus never asked us to do. I wonder if sometimes we're praying, God, can you help me with this because it's really hard? And Jesus is like, whoa, I never even asked you to do this. That's not your burden. That's not your load. Jesus probably needs to come and slap us and go, you're doing this because you're obsessed with pleasing people. Actually, you're doing this because you're vain and you're proud. And you want a bit of recognition. You're doing this because you don't mind it when the spotlight shines on you. That's why you're not finding it easy. That's why you're finding the burden crippling. Yeah, the problem's at our end. What about, what about this? Psalm 127, it says, In vain you rise up early and stay up late toiling for food to eat for he grants sleep to those he loves that's a promise of God every time you come to church somewhere along the line you will hear that God loves you well here's a promise he grants sleep to those he loves how often is that our experience who of us has our head hit the pillow and go, yep, I'm going to be pretty much comatose for the next eight hours? Actually, this idea of rest, it keeps coming up and up and up. God wants that to be our normal experience. Common? Let's not accept that as normal. Let's accept God's standard in this. To what extent, my mate Adam, 
pushed the boundaries in pursuing me four times to get me to his village. So I said, you probably don't have a sister-in-law down the road who's crippled and naked, but you might have a friend who's struggling with sin, addictive behaviours, bitterness, unforgiveness, fear, anxiety, or burdened with their load. Actually, I would suggest when I shared that, there's every chance that someone came into your mind. It might be your own experience. It might be your sister-in-law's experience. I don't know. But I said, I reckon you can think of someone. How, what extent would you go to for that friend to make that interaction happen? Where you would get them to, 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 to interact with Jesus? To what extent? Not, not what extent would you go to let me phrase it like this what extent have you gone to maybe you've already asked that person that friend that family member can I pray for you I remember I was with Mel in a hospital once and there were some people sitting over there who were terribly grieved and Mel walked up and said can I pray for you and they said no no we don't want you to that might be your experience there might have been a slap in the face and say look I don't want that from you but if that's someone that God's put in your life who you dearly love, is, is, is it worth a second slap in the face maybe? To what extent do you go to? Do you just drop the cause on the second time? Do you drop the cause on the third time or the fourth time? For that person to get to a stage to say, Jesus set me free, is it worth it? Of course it is, isn't it? Of course it is. I think if when I said, do you have someone in mind, then really the next step is yours. Because if the Spirit is convicting you about yourself or someone, then the next step is yours. You might have to look stupid yourself. You might have to actually confront them and make it awkward. But is it worth it? Those guys who lowered their mate through the roof were pushing boundaries. You know, one day in heaven, we'll be there for many days and we'll get to meet a lot of people. One day we'll meet a guy and we'll say, bro, how do you fit into the picture? And he goes, oh, you probably know about my story. There was this cripple guy and they go, you were the cripple guy? And he goes, no, 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 no. I was one of the guys holding the mat. There was six of us, there was four of us. And we'll shake his hand and we'll go, you're a legend, won't we? And all he did was play his part by going, I'm going to take a hit and risk it to make that interaction happen. And I think that's my encouragement. Actually, that's the encouragement from the word from us today. To take a hit to make that interaction happen. We need to act on these convictions. We might need to cross some cultural lines. Just in closing... So you send missionaries like Mel and I to Malawi, to Sri Lanka, Cambodia, all over the place. It's exorbitant, like it's really expensive. Flights are off the scale, paying for visas are expensive. Whenever we buy, like if we buy a car in Malawi, we get to pay 100% duty to the government. So like a $30,000 car becomes a $60,000 car. Like it's really expensive and then when we get there we realise, hang on, we can't even speak the language so you've got to support us for a couple of years till we get good language and then, and then, then we start building relationships, we start building friendships and, and after like being called, raising support, landing on the ground, learning language, like we're talking three, four years later, you find yourself under a tree in a village speaking to a lady in a group sharing about Jesus and she says, Baba, are you telling me that I can be right before God? Are you telling me God knows I'm not good enough, but he's made a way? And she goes, this is good news. If it only takes four years to do that, it's worth it, right? So to what extent do we go to? I'm going to pray for you guys for courage, 
to act on the conviction that the Holy Spirit puts on us. Because the friend that you're annoying at the moment, if one day they can look at you and say, hey, I'm free, it'll all be worth it, won't it? Let's pray. Lord God, you are so loving, you are so patient, you are so gracious, and your plan is so good. Lord, we confess sometimes we accept a sloppy second, but your word just raises the bar. Father, we want to be open to what it is you're convicting us about in our own lives and also in our friends. Lord, Lord, your plan might not be for us to go across the ocean to all nations to the end of the world, but it might be to just walk across the street. Holy Spirit, we welcome your conviction, but we also ask that you would give us the strength and the courage to do what we're too weak to do. For your glory. For your glory. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been so blessed this weekend just to hear many stories like we've just heard, but of Jesus' kingdom breaking in to lives and families and communities. This is who He is. He comes and He breaks in and He brings life. Let me just read this. It's what Jesus says Himself. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives be released, that the blind will see, and the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favour has come. This is who Jesus is. This is His ministry, to come and to break into lives, into our lives, into the lives of those communities. And just picturing Jesus working in and through Tim in that little mud hut there in Malawi, well, the same Jesus comes and He works in your heart and my heart here in Bridgman Downs. And this is what we've been called to be a part of. We've been called to be carriers of this good news. And I love the reality that I don't need to be someone special. None of us would put our hands up and say, I've got it together. We just have to carry the mat. We just have to hold on to the arm like Adam did to to Tim to say, I just got to get my friend there that they might encounter Jesus. That's our job. We're not special, but we point to the one who is. We point to the one who can set free. That's the call God has for us. It's not just a call, it's an opportunity, isn't it? Well, what do you think? Tim is part of that and he he sees this this life transformed. That is exciting. That is life when we get to see God work in and through our lives. And I, I do believe God is speaking to us this morning just to say, what would it take? What lengths might we go to to keep inviting our friends, reaching out to our friends? He hasn't planted us in Malawi. He's planted us here in Bridgman Downs or He's planted you in a school or a community or a home or a family. What would it take just to keep pointing people to Jesus, to keep stepping out? And I just thought, now I just um, actually received a text this morning from one of the young adults in our church, uh, really relevant um, to this this morning. It says, this morning I felt really, this is yeah, talking about yesterday, this morning I felt really unmotivated about going to work. So I prayed that God would use me to bring glory to Him today. It's a good way to start your day, isn't it? Anyway, three out of my three, three, anyways, three out of three of my patients randomly asked me directly about God and Jesus without any prompting from me. So because they asked, I got a chance to speak into their lives. One even asked me for a Bible. So I got to give him a Gideon's Bible and placed a bookmark at the Gospel of Mark. How incredible God hears our prayer. Don't you love that story? Here I am, God, I don't even want to go to work. But God, bring glory to to your kingdom through me. Ordinary people like you and me, just being available and ready to point people to Jesus. I just wanna take a moment now just to stop and to reflect and pray and let the Holy Spirit speak to us. As Tim said, probably there's already people in our lives that He's reminded, reminded us of that we can be praying for. Would you pray with me? And just ask in your own heart, Lord, who is it? Who is the one that I can love? Maybe the one that's already slapped me in the face, seemed not interested, 
But how, how is it, God, that I can give another invitation or love or share with them? Who is it in my workplace? And I want to just ask even right now that you pray for them. Because this is not just a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. And just as this story yesterday started with prayer, it starts with prayer, saying, God, go before me. I just want to ask you just in a few moments, just where you are, just pray for those ones in your life right now. Ask for the courage. Ask that He would lead. Ask that it would be Spirit-led and natural. And that His kingdom would come in and through your life. And I'm also just aware that there might be people here this morning, like Tim said, that you feel bound in some way, limited in some way. Maybe like that doorknob, there's things in, in our lives that might be the usual, but not God's normal. And I love the power of the principles of God. That young, young girl just confessed her sin, just turned to Jesus, asked for Him to come to forgive and to set free. And maybe this morning here and online, there are ones that just want to, you just want to turn to say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I'm asking you to set me free. Jesus, I want to turn to you. It's in your own heart, pray that. Just turn to Jesus, ask that He might come and bring freedom. That you might know His love and His truth in these areas of your life. Well, God, we wanna thank You for who You are. Thank You that You invite us into Your Kingdom to be part of Your Kingdom. Lord Jesus, thank You that You're wanting to build Your Kingdom in and through us, Lord. Here we are, as soon as we follow Jesus, we are missionaries, we, we are carriers of this good news. And Lord, we wanna pray for stories, stories in our own lives, Lord. Just like Tim's, we're using him there in Malawi. Use us here, we pray. Thank You that You don't call us to be special, just call us to be available. Thank You, Lord, You do the heavy lifting. And so, Lord, we thank You. Thank You that You wanna bring Your Kingdom in and through our lives. Lord, we look to You and trust You. In Jesus' Name, Amen, Amen. We're just gonna sing our last song, but I, I really feel like often in these missions weekends, we commission and pray over people like Tim and Mel to go and to share the good news. But this morning, I really feel that uh, it's been flipped on its head. It's, it's for us. And maybe even this morning, God is speaking to you about people that you wanna share the good news with, places you wanna share the good news or just be Jesus' presence in these places. And I wanna just encourage us, if we um, are in that place, God's been speaking, come and ask for prayer. Tim and Mel, the pastors here, would love to be praying for you in your, your place of mission. And if even if there is things in your own life, you would love to see greater freedom, come as an act of faith, as a response to come and be prayed for here this morning. So in this last song, please come forward and ask for prayer. We'd love to be praying for you because it's not as our strength, it's God's strength that will do it. Let's stand and sing. And uh, please come forward for prayer if you'd like to be encouraged in that way.
Well, God, I wanna thank You at the core of Your heart is love. Lord, You love us and You love this world. Lord, You love those in village huts in Malawi bound in oppression. Lord, You love those here caught up in the full-on nature of our life, our secular life. You love each one of us, God, and You wanna break break through. You wanna bring freedom. You wanna bring love. You wanna bring life. I wanna thank You, God, that You loved us so much that You would come from heaven to earth to die for us. And Lord, I wanna... Thank You that You love us and You call us even in our weakness, even in our inadequacy to be part of Your Kingdom coming into this world. And so Lord, I pray over each one here, Lord, that You would help us be conduits of this love. Help us to share that love. Help us to share truth. Help us just to carry the map. Help us to point people to Jesus, we pray. That there would be many, many stories, not just from Malawi, Cambodia, Bhutan, But Lord, from here in Australia, more people coming all over the world. Just continue to build your church. You are building your church. Thank you for calling us to be a part of it. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It's been great to have you as part of this morning's service. And um, I'd love it if we could just thank Tim and Mel once more for coming to share with us. Really appreciate you guys. Look forward to them having them back again. Just remember those books are out at the info desk, $20 for either Mel's book or Bruce and Annette Rattray's book up the back there at the info desk. And please come again tonight, come and hear the Hodges share their story as well. We look forward to seeing you there. Thank you.